Hey, good morning, church. Man, you guys are so much more rambunctious than the nine was. I'm proud of you all for that. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Derek, and I'm the community director here at Frontline Church. And if you're a visitor with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. Um, we, are, we are one church that exists in five different congregations across the OKC metro area. And all five of our congregations have been teaching through the book of uh, 1 Corinthians for nearly a year now. Uh, and, and we're going to be wrapping that up here in the next few weeks. But I'm curious, as you were sitting there listening to that passage being read... I wonder if the, the same three words stood out to you that stand out to me when I read this passage. The, the three words that stand out to me here are, come right there in the middle of verse three where it says, of first importance. Paul takes time to explicitly lay out the gospel, right? That, that Christ, was di- that Christ uh, died, was buried, and raised again according to the scripture, And then he says that that this gospel, this good news, is to be of first importance. My wife has two brothers and a father who all practice medicine. And uh, one of them is uh, an an ER physician, the other is family practice, and the other works in public health. And um, uh, can make for some really interesting, like, dinner table conversations, to be quite honest, but that's not the point. Um, When when they all went to med school, one of the first things um, that they were taught, and, and any physician in the room might recognize this as well, one of the first things that they're taught is do no harm. Do no harm. Right, which is this filter in which um, our, our uh, medical staff can kind of run all of their decisions through, right? Because medicine's really complicated. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's not always black and white. And so you weigh the, um, the risks and the rewards and, uh, and all the things. And the, the, the filter you run the decision through is, man, um, I, I just want to make sure that I do no harm here. This feels like a do no harm moment from Paul. Right? Because, because leading a church can be complicated. Right? Living a life of faith can get messy. And, and, and sometimes um, the, the next step doesn't feel like it's super clear or obvious, um, but, but Paul knows every bit of that. And, and so he gives us this gift that says, man, um, as you live your life, as your church uh, continues to grow, as, as you're doing these things, you have to continue to ask yourself, where is the gospel and, and is it of first importance? Just like a, a doctor looking at a, a challenging um, diagnosis going, okay, how do I approach this in a way that I do no harm? See, there's a real danger when a follower of Jesus um, forgets that the gospel is supposed to be of first importance, right? And, and, and just for clarity's sake, when I say first importance, I mean that the gospel is, um, is, is paramount to our lives, right? And I, I think that we get this wrong when we uh, choose to, to leave out a part of the gospel, when we choose to maybe emphasize a part or, or underemphasize uh, different pieces of the gospel. If, if you were to continue to read in, in chapter 15, um, verse 12 is going to tell you that there were, there were folks in the Corinthian church that would call themselves Christians who were doubting the resurrection, 
Doubting resurrection of the dead. Right? We can't choose what parts of the gospel to believe and not to believe. And, and, and yet, we do. To our shame, we do this. We, we, we do this all the time. And, and maybe it's not um, doubting the resurrection the way that it was for the Corinthians. But I think in our current Christian culture, we have plenty of errors in the way that we see the gospel. Right, let, let, me, let me give you a couple of examples. We are really comfortable to endlessly talk about the, the grace offered to us through Jesus. Right? We, we celebrate the fact that Jesus is, uh, has, has forgiven our, our sins, past, present, and future. And, and, and all those things are true, um, but how often do we forget that Jesus' um, next words to the woman at the well after encountering her was, go and sin no more? Right? We, we forget that Jesus uh, spent, spent time in Matthew 5 preaching this beautiful sermon from the Mount talking about how a, a Christian's life is to look after he meets Jesus. Right? See, our, our lives should be changed as a result of the gospel. And often we're content to confess our sins, forget about our repentance by lunchtime, come back to church next week and do it again. Friends, that's just not the gospel that Paul taught. Another example is, is the other ditch, right? The, the ditch that would claim that, that we need to clean ourselves up. We have, to, we have to really get our life together in order to come to Jesus. Inevitably, when we try to do, do these things, we will fail. And then we're resentful of the church, resentful of God himself, right? That's also not the gospel that Paul taught. See, if, if we're going to be a people who are shaped and transformed by the gospel, man, then, then we have to have a deep understanding of the gospel as our anchor. Be, because without an anchor, friends, we will drift. And the gospel will become no longer of first importance. Because here's what's true. We do not drift into a gospel-shaped life. Right? We, we drift into lies. We drift into half-truth. We drift into apathy. We, we drift into sin. So, so this morning, I, I want to use this passage as a bit of a model for us. J just as the, the Corinthians drifted into the lie that the resurrection of the dead isn't an essential part of the gospel, I, I, I want to I I look at the gospel. I want to talk about what the gospel is what the gospel means and what the gospel does. And, and then my prayer is that after we work through those points, the, the spirit of God would be kind enough to meet us and offer correction and, and illuminate the ways in which we're adrift. So we start at the beginning, right? What the gospel is. The gospel is good news, friends. We, we can't begin a conversation about the gospel without starting at the very beginning. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. Right? He, he brought forth mountains and, and, and grizzly bears and mangoes. And, and, and this, by the way, is where you, if you're an artist in the room, like you should feel stirred by this because uh, God was the first creator and the first artist and his beauty is on display around us, right? 
So, so he, created, um, he created this world in all of its beauty. And then after it had been created, God created man and woman in his image. So as humans, we, we bear his likeness, which, which means that we have like deep and errant value before we're even born. He gave us dominion over his creation, and then he empowered us to rule and to build and to tame this wild creation that he created. In, in, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, it says and, and the man and his wife were both naked and they weren't ashamed. And that is an important verse, because at this point in creation, there was no shame. There was no regret there, there, was, there was nothing to hide, and, 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 and Adam and Eve were completely vulnerable to one another and to God, and they had nothing to fear. But it didn't last very long, did it? Be, because, like, we can't have good news with, without hearing the bad news as well. Right? Eve is fooled by the serpent, while Adam passively sits by and watches, right? And as soon as Eve takes a bite of that forbidden fruit, our perfect creation is cursed, right? Cursed to experience pain and toil and and struggle and, and ultimately cursed to experience death. Listen to the difference between Genesis chapter three and what I just read in Genesis chapter two. It says, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. See, sin equals shame. And all of a sudden, it wasn't okay to be naked, and Adam and Eve knew it. So how does God respond Later on in Genesis 3, it says, the Lord made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. See, this could have been a moment that God could have left us to our own shame. This, this could have been a moment that God said, hey, figure it out for yourselves. Go find yourselves some more fig leaves. Right, but he he could have scrapped the whole idea of his image bearers bringing him glory, but he didn't. He he actually sacrificed animals in the garden in order to clothe his people. Right, he ended the life of the innocent in order to cover our nakedness, in order to cover our shame. And and ever since that moment, humans have been sinning and trying to figure out how to how to how to create our own coverings for our sin, right? We we try to cover our sin by doing good things uh, and hiding the bad things. We we try to cover our sin by blaming other people. We try to cover our sin by by like white knuckling our, our, our way to sinlessness, and inevitably all of our efforts fail. See, God knew that he must send someone to save us. But, but not, just, not, just, not just anyone, but a, but a man who was, who, was, who was fully God and fully human. God's only son, born to a Jewish virgin teenager. And, and this man would succeed 
where all of us have failed. See, he didn't sin. He didn't lie. He, he honored his mother and his father. He, he pursued those who were hurting and then he offered them relief. And, and of all the people to walk this world, this man, Jesus, is the only one who didn't deserve to die. And yet, he chose to willingly die this, this violent death so that our nakedness could be covered. Right, the, the innocent had to be sacrificed so that our shame would be covered just like Adam and Eve. Right, but the difference, the difference between Jesus' death and the death of those animals is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Right, he, he rose again, conquering death's curse once, of, once and for all. And friends, that, that's the gospel, right? The, the, the good news that, that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again so that our sins might be covered. That's what the gospel is. But what does that mean? Like, what does that mean for us? Well, first of all, I think that means that we're now reconciled with creation, Right? As, a, as, a part of, as a part of sin's curse, we were at odds with creation. Right? The, the ground grows weeds and, and the weather uh, tries to freeze us out or burn us up or blow us away or kill us with hailstones. Right? Animals offer uh, a tremendous amount of danger to our, our physical safety. But, but now our father uh, is, is actually using creation to point us back to him. Let me, let me show you what I mean. My, my wife loves to garden, and she's always dreaming uh, about uh, what flowers and bushes um, would bring more beauty to our lives. But uh, it's, it's never as easy or as quick as she might want it to be, right? Because, because she's got to clear the ground. She's got to eliminate weeds, and then eliminate the weeds that grow in their place, and then eliminate the next weeds that grow after that, and then get the seeds planted, and then do what? Wait, <laughs> right? Much longer than she might prefer to wait. But, but the reconciliation comes when, when God does like beautiful formational work in her heart as she gardens. Because growing healthy plants requires tending, requires patience, requires diligence. And, 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 and what used to feel like toil, what used to feel like a curse, now feels like this beautiful moment of discipleship when God uses his creation to point her back to his goodness, to point her back to his character, right? Because God is diligent. Right? He gives us constant tending, and God is patient. Right? Thunderstorms display his power. Mountains remind us how small we really are. And those, those, those little pea-sized uh, green buds that come out of the earth in March remind us that there's new life after a cold, dark winter. Right? Creation is pointing us back to our Father. Even more importantly, the gospel means 
that we are also reconciled with our Father. Right? Our, our, our Father created us to live in relationship with him and ultimately bring him glory. And when we sinned, we disconnected ourselves from him. But Jesus reconnected us. Right? So when he looks at us, when, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He sees the innocence of Jesus. He sees the life of Jesus. And so when, when speaking about God's relationship with his people, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, The great thing to remember is that though our feelings come and go, his love for us does not. It's not wearied by our sins or our indifference and therefore is, is quite relentless in its determination that we should be cured of those sins at whatever cost to us, at whatever cost to him. Now, now church, keep in mind that our access to that relentless love would not be possible if not for the sacrifice of Jesus. Right? Our, our father is pursuing us and he orchestrated the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He's, he's now forming us, he's forming our hearts and, and ultimately has invited us into his kingdom. God created us to live in union with him. And through Jesus, we're adopted sons and daughters of our creator. Through Jesus, we get to experience the love of a father. So maybe your story is like mine, and you've spent periods of your life almost assuming God's love for you, and, and, and that would then cheapen the work of Jesus on the cross. Or maybe you just can't imagine what a loving father in your life might even look like. Whatever lies um, are, are in your head or in your heart ab about our Father, I, I hope that these words from C.S. Lewis encourage you today that our, our feelings, our feelings come and go, but his love for us does not. So, so we're reconciled to creation, and, and we're reconciled to the Father, and finally, church, we are reconciled to one another. Right? We, if we look back at Genesis, we can see that part of sin's curse is a, is a fracturing of the relationships that are, that are around us. And, and I think we probably all feel this, right? Like friendships are hard and strangers can be scary. And, and sometimes, even though family should be like the easiest relationships in our lives, sometimes they're not. <laughs> Nobody say amen, especially if you're sitting with your family. Right, but in this moment, right, living a life of isolation is actually easier than I, I think maybe any time in the history of the world. Right, when we can order our groceries online, when we can work uh, remotely, and then um, we can hide behind our phones, and we do all of those things so that we don't have to interact with one another because relationships are hard. But church, we weren't created to live alone. God created all these things like, like marriage, like family, like community as a reflection of, of his communal nature. And, and then at the, at the pinnacle of, of his communal creation is the church. 
is, is his church, right? This gathering of men and women and children who, who are drawn together to live in community with one another through the unifying work of the Spirit. As I said, sometimes our closest relationships can be the most difficult, right? They're, they're the relationships that expose our selfishness. These are the relationships where we have to both ask for forgiveness the most and offer forgiveness uh, or offer, ask to be forgiven the most and offer forgiveness the most. But the good news is that God is using these relationships just like he's using creation to shape us and to form us. One uh, pastor describes reconciliation like this. He says, do you realize what is true of you if you're in Christ? Those in union with him are promised that all the haunted brokenness that infects everything, every relationship, every conversation, every family, every email, every waking to consciousness in the morning, every job, every vacation, everything will one day be rewound and reversed. The more darkness in pain we experience in this life, the more resplendence and relief in the next. See, God is using every bit of our experience here on earth for our good and for his glory. And my hope is that you would hear those words this morning as a, as a gentle, encouraging reminder and not as a careless hammer? Because it's complicated, right? I can almost hear, I can almost hear the, the objections in the room. Are, are, are you saying that, that God is gonna use my divorce for my good and his glory? Are you saying that, uh, that my estranged parents, somehow he's gonna use that for my good and his glory? Or, or that, that deep betrayal of a friendship? If we can trust this book, and, and, I, and I think we can, Romans 8 is very clear that the answer to those questions is yes. But hear me acknowledge that, 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 that our good doesn't always mean our comfort. And sometimes what's good for us is painful and so I, I pray that this church would continue to stand in the tension of that truth, right? Knowing that he is good, knowing that he loves us, knowing that he is in full control, and also knowing that when we encounter pain or disappointment or heartache, it doesn't mean that the other things I named are untrue. This is what the gospel means. Right, that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we are reconciled back to creation, back to our Father and to one another. So, so we know what the gospel is. We, we now have talked about what it means, but what does it do? What, is, what does the gospel do? Is it enough to just be able to rearticulate kind of the talking points of the gospel, is that what we're talking about? Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. 
it says this. It says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let me remind you who's writing these words. These words are written by, by Paul, right? But Paul was formerly known as Saul. And this is a, this is a man who aided, uh, who, who helped a, a gang of men stone a man named Stephen for his belief in Jesus. This is a man who uh, the book of Acts says ravaged the church by, by, by going into people's homes, uh, getting men and women probably in front of their children and taking them to prison because they had faith in Jesus. Right? Acts also describes Saul as breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And yet Paul writes, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So, so let's just take a second to review who Paul is. Paul wrote 13, possibly 14 books of the Bible. Paul, either directly or indirectly, uh, was a part of 14 different church plants. And, 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 and Paul spread the gospel to billions of people through his written word and spoken word. Paul's also a man who spent most of his life hungry. He spent most of his life poor. He spent most of his life overflowing with joy and hope. Why? Because he encountered Jesus. Jesus inter intervened in his life and he was changed. So, so what does the gospel do? It changes us. It awakens our hearts to our desperation for a savior. When, when Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, no truer words have ever been spoken because, because Paul was, was transformed from, from being the enemy of God, quite literally killing God's people, to being an adopted son of God. And, and friends, hear me when I say this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if, if your hope and, and, uh, and, and joy is in Jesus, then you were also once an enemy of God, and now you are an adopted son or daughter of the Father. Your transformation is no less and no more miraculous than Paul's was. And, and guess what? you didn't have anything to do with it. I've got these dear friends uh, who are gonna be adopting um, their son here in about a month. And this is a little boy who's lived in their home for, uh, for a couple of years at this point. And so we're so excited to celebrate with them. But, but here's what's true. That little boy did not choose my friends to be his parents. That's not how adoption works, right? My, my, my friends looked at him and said, hey, we, we choose you. Welcome home. That's what adoption is, friends. 
that's what we're talking about, that God chose us and said, welcome home. Once we've experienced that adoption, we can't help but be transformed. The gospel transforms us. So where is our drift? In in what ways are, are we shaping the gospel to fit our lives rather than reshaping our lives to fit the gospel? If we look back at the uh, first two verses in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes this. He says, he says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, this is, this is not in contradiction to the last three chapters of 1 Corinthians that we've been looking at. We've been talking about the work of the, the Spirit. This is, this is the gospel coming alongside the work that the Spirit does in and through us, right? And, and, and Paul is reminding us that the good news of the gospel is actually the foundation of all that we're doing. It's, it's the saving power to all who believe. And, and, and you might join me in, uh, in this sentiment. Like if Paul would have ended verse two with the word saved, I might be happier, <laughs> right? It's, if, if you received, um, or sorry, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved, on to verse three, that might've felt a little bit easier. But he, he, he drops in these, two phrases here that uh, almost send chills down your spine. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. See, remember the, the issue in Corinth was that there were Christians doubting the reality of the resurrection. right? Choosing to believe that Jesus was the son of God but denying the resurrection of the dead. And friends, that's an example of believing in vain, right? A, a waste of time. There's, there's no adoption where there's no resurrection. But, but maybe for us, it's, uh, it's not the resurrection, right? Think, think back to the examples that I gave at, at the beginning of our time to use the, the grace extended to us through Jesus as a license to live under your own authority? Or, or, to, or to put it in another way, like to, to continue to sin, to continue to keep on sinning rather than submit to his corrective authority very well may be for you believing in vain. If, if, if you look at your life and you, and you can't find a moment when you felt conviction for your sin, when you felt a real hatred for your sin, when, when, you, when you didn't deeply desire transformation and, and deliverance from your sin, then you might be believing in vain, friend. And, and, and I think that one of the scariest things about living in this part of the world in 2023 is that Christianity can become like this social norm, 
right, where we all show up and um, we wear our Christian badge, and of course I'm a Christian, why wouldn't I be? It's, it's easy to live an assumed gospel. It's easy to hold on to something other than what Paul taught us. I, I remember this season of my life when I was in college, and, um, and I, was, I, was just, I was just living in unrepentant, rebellious sin. Now, I was still at church every Sunday. And I'd, I'd walk out of the door on Sunday mornings feeling this weird mixture of, of shame and, like, satisfaction. Shame and guilt because there was, there was somewhere in my chest that I, I knew that the life that I was leading uh, was not the life that Jesus had called me to, but I also felt this satisfaction because I'd put in my time at church and I could go back to my sinful life with my guilt at bay. Right? It, was, it was almost like my relationship with sin was a headache and, and, and attendance at church was ibuprofen. Right? I, I, wonder if, I wonder if any of you can relate to that. Now, to, to be clear, looking back um, at that time of my life, if I had walked in front of a bus and, uh, and been killed with unrepentant sin in my life, um, I, I don't think I would have gone to hell. I, I ha- am convinced that my conversion was true and, and that, and that God's, God has a, a, a grip on me. Right? That's not necessarily what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is faithfulness. And I was not living a life of faithfulness. I, I was not holding fast to the word that was preached to me, and my belief in that moment was vain. But there's another ditch, though, right? There's the the ditch of, of licentiousness, and then there's the ditch where we begin to actually attach our behavior to our salvation, Right? When, when we believe that, that Jesus is calling us to change, but we deny that he's actually doing the change within us. Right? And, 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 and some of us are wired in such a way that accepting unconditional grace and forgiveness is a daily battle. Right? We're default to looking for boxes to check. Weighing the good that we've done versus the bad that we've done. And, and, and somewhere we believe in our hearts, whether, whether our heads would admit it or not, that as long as our good outweighs our bad, we're in good shape. Friends, that's not the gospel. That, that's quite possibly believing in vain. See, the gospel compels us to live transformed lives and to work and live in obedience, but knowing that it's not us doing the work, but the grace of God, the Holy Spirit that's working within us. The other day I read this line that I thought was profound. Um, it said that, um, man, we, 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 we don't want to have a spirituality that says Jesus on the cover uh, of the book, but not Jesus in the book. Another way of saying that is that I, I want our church, I want my family, I want ev- even me, I, I, I want uh, when, when I'm cut, I, I want to I bleed gospel truth inside and out. We can't pre- I can't pretend to name all the parts of the gospel that you might struggle to believe this morning. 
I, I can't even always identify the parts of the gospel that my heart has trouble believing. But what I can do is I can remind you that God knows it all. He, he knows where you struggle. He saw my guilt. He saw my misplaced satisfaction every time I left Riverside Baptist Church and ran home to sin. Right? And, and we can trust him to hold fast to us even when we don't hold fast to him. He is faithful. I think that we as a church need to commit to keeping the gospel of first importance, just like our doctors commit to do no harm, right? So maybe this morning, maybe this morning, uh, the call for you is to confess your weakness to your father. Maybe that looks like specifically naming some hidden sin in your life and then asking him to forgive you and restore you. Man, if that's you this morning, there are gonna be people down front who would love to help you pray those prayers and pray those prayers with you. But, but maybe that's not you this morning. Maybe you're sitting there and you're realizing, man, my understanding of the gospel is flawed and, and I need help. I need help sorting out and untangling truth and lies around the gospel. Man, please don't do that on your own. Please don't do that on your own. We would love to sit with you. We would love to sit with you with an open Bible and process what's true. And, and finally, um, as I was praying for our morning and thinking through this morning, um, the, the thing that kept coming to mind is, is that maybe some of you in this room the thing that you're feeling the deepest is nothing at all. Like, like maybe the scariest thing for you is that you're sitting here hearing these earth-shattering truths, looking at the story of redemption, and your heart is completely numb. Man, if, if that's you, then I, I just want to encourage you to do something really brave and ask ask the spirit of God to intervene. And, and in fact, uh, that's what I want to do for you right now. So would, would you bow your heads and pray with me?